You're listening to episode 68 with Tyler Nutt Gregson, poet, author, and artist. This episode is brought to you by Moonshot Missions. This is Radhika Fox, Chief Executive Officer of the U.S. Water Alliance. This is a podcast that is demonstrating the importance of communicating the value of water. It's water in real life with my friend, the H2 duo. Hey, water nerds, what's your moonshot? George Hawkins, former chief executive of DC Water, is president and founder of Moonshot Missions. Moonshot is a nonprofit organization seeking to disrupt the current approach to delivering improvements to water systems. Led by seasoned and skilled experts, Moonshot Missions designs replicable models that help utilities overcome the challenges they face in order to move forward. Moonshot can help you assess your system, select solutions from a pre-vetted menu of projects, plus develop innovative financing approaches. You are not in this alone. Moonshot Missions will help you collaborate with other leaders to work together, develop tailored mission plans, and share lessons learned. Together, you can build water systems that work more efficiently and effectively to protect and provide for the residents you serve while also saving your customers money. If you'd like to learn more or even share your own experience that might be helpful for a struggling utility to adopt and start on a positive path, visit moonshotmissions.org or email george at moonshotmissions.org. The only way that we are going to bridge those gaps and that we're going to bring everything back, all of us working together towards something that actually makes a change, is by saying things in a language that everybody can relate to. And I think that's what art is for. So, how you doing, water nerds? I mean, really, have you guys been stressed out a little lately? Big deadlines, lots of conference travel, pressures at work, life, home? Well, this episode is like a breath of fresh air. So my absolute favorite thing about the U.S. Water Alliance is their arts and culture initiative. We spoke about this with CEO Radhika Fox in episode 66. And that program inspired me to reach out to one of my favorite artists, Tyler. We have to start engaging with our communities in more creative ways to get them to hear us and pay attention to us. It's the only way we're going to be able to convey the value of water. And art has a way of engaging the heart and mind in a way that facts and figures alone never could. So we picked Tyler's mind about how we can use art such as words and photography to not only inspire our audience, our communities, but also to recharge ourselves in the process. We all have a voice and if we want to create change, we have to be more courageous, more mindful and more authentic. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Tyler Knott Gregson is a poet, author, professional photographer, and artist who lives in the mountains of Helena, Montana. His books include Miracle in the Mundane, Chasers of the Light, All the Words Are Yours, North Pole Ninjas, and Wildly in the Dark. When he is not writing, he runs his photography company, Chasers of the Light. So y'all, I am like hardcore fangirling right now. I can't believe that we're about to have an interview with Tyler. I, uh, Your work is amazing, and I'm so pumped that you're here to chat with us today. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so water nerds, many of you out there may be wondering, okay, uh, the duo, we trust y'all, but... Maybe you're wondering what a poet has to do with uh, water. Well, the water part, that's our job, but making connections in unexpected places Mm -hmm. is also a piece of our job. But before we get there, I found Tyler when I went down this rabbit hole and saw a quote from his book, Chasers of the Light, on a t-shirt. 
and I traced it back and found uh, his Instagram online. So as a writer, I felt like I had instantly found uh, my spirit animal. She did. <laughs> she messaged me on, on Instagram. I was like, I found my spirit animal. <laughs> I've never been a spirit animal before. But you are. You are now. That's um, awesome. <laughs> so Tyler, tell us a little bit about your story. Like, Did you find poetry or did poetry find you? I think a little of both, probably. Um, I started writing poetry when I was pretty young. Uh, In Montana, we have this thing that's called cowboy poetry. And that was honestly the first time I'd ever even heard the word poetry. And I think I was in like maybe third or fourth grade. And I think the thing that immediately I was gravitating towards was there weren't the same rules that all the rest of my school day had to have. And I think that by itself was enough to lock me in because I'm somewhere on the spectrum with, I guess, what used to be called Asperger's. And so school for me was a constant battle of trying Mm -hmm. to figure out how to even get through the day without getting into a lot of trouble. And I just learned so much differently. And I had my own ways of dealing with everything. And up until that point, everything was so regimented and structured that when poetry came in, it was like, oh, wait a minute you know, you can say whatever you want here and it doesn't have to fit and it doesn't have to do this. It doesn't have to do that. You can just say the things. And so immediately I knew that that was probably going to be a tool for me that would almost be kind of like a, like an emergency release button that it, when it, when it all felt like it was too much, I could do that and things would settle down and calm down. And then I could, at least it would reset me long enough that I could start over later Mm -hmm. and like not feel like it was just too much. And so it started there and then it just, it never went away. I I did it all through middle school, high school, college. And it was just, but it was always just, I never even read the things that I wrote. It was just (laughs) get it out, be done with it. And then that frees up a spot that something new can clutter up. Nice. (laughs) Nice. I like that. I love that you say that uh, you got into it because there wasn't the structure because you write a haiku every day and there is definite rules and structure to that. (laughs) Exactly. And that's honestly, a lot of people wake up in the morning and they'll do like their crossword puzzle or, you know, it's something to get their brain moving. And that's, that is why I chose haiku was, you have to say so much in such a short space and you have to follow those rules. So every morning for me, it's so counter to how I think Mm -hmm. that it's like, Mm -hmm. all right, what's the hardest thing you can do right when you wake up? And that's follow (laughs) the rules, fit it into this thing. And so honestly that I like kickstarting my day every day with that. It's because it forces me to start a day thinking outside how my brain wants to think. So it's kind of like exercise. Sure. Nice. Uh, yeah, but the haikus that I would write first thing out the gate would probably not sound as really amazing <laughs> no. as yours. So. I'm sitting here going one, two, three. Four, yeah, five, I'm six, like okay, and uh, yeah. 11, <laughs> well, it's been like ten years, so now honestly, I I can think in terms of five and seven and five. It's yeah. really weird. Like I can just hear a sentence in my head and immediately be like, "That's a five or that's a seven. Oh wow. my gosh! Human uh, superpower right yeah. there. Yeah, it's like it's like Rain Man, except for it doesn't make me as much money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so to get back on on uh, why I tracked Tyler Dan was like you got to be on our podcast. There is a national organization called One Water Alliance, and they are tireless advocates for promoting the value of water and the One Water story. Um, 
meaning in the, in our industry, we tend to get a little siloed in our, we talk water, we talk wastewater, we talk stormwater, et cetera, et cetera. But um, we all know that in real life, water doesn't, doesn't follow rules. Uh, again, it doesn't recognize jurisdictions or, bound, or borders, you know, it meanders. Um, and they caught my eye with their arts and culture initiative, which is a partnership with an organization called Art Place America. And in one of the reports they did, there's a quote that says, the arts are particularly great at connecting with the deeper parts of ourselves and one of the most effective ways of engaging us emotionally. So water to most non-water nerds is mundane. However, you find the miracle in the mundane. <laughs> so what's your take on the power of art to inspire change? Honestly, I think that it's one of the only things anymore that really can. Mm. Um, I think, I think, Politics have taken us to a certain point in history where it's there's such a divide that everything is said in such black and white terms and left and right terms that it really is. It's dividing this country. I mean, not even right down the middle because that line moves. And yeah. the only way that we are gonna we're gonna bridge those gaps and that we're gonna bring everything back to all of us working together towards something that actually makes a change is by saying things in a language that everybody can relate to. Mm. And that's the problem with politics right now is everybody is holding so tightly onto their beliefs, but it's not even the beliefs that are causing the huge divides. It's the way that those beliefs are spoken about. Yeah. And until, and I think that's what art is for. And I think that any artist that isn't using their voice, whether they're a singer or a painter or a poet or an author, if they're not using their unique gift to create more of those bridges, they're wasting, they're wasting their talent. And mm. it's, so I don't know, it's, it's too easy now to just pander to the masses and be like, all right, I'm going to make money off of this one. But I think in order to actually make something that is meaningful and make something that will change things, you have to allow yourself that possibility that that half of the people or more are not going to like what you're saying. Yeah. But that's okay because they're still seeing it and mm -hmm. that's, what's going to make things shift. I mean, the stuff that's been going on the last few days, well, it's not water related in any means, but mm -hmm. it, it just shows you how absolutely ridiculous things have gotten. Yeah. And I mean, I wrote, actually I wrote a poem this morning and I, in it, I talked about how Martin Luther King Jr. would have been 90 if he was still alive. And, uh, you know, one of the lines in it is basically talking about how we might have taken the labels off of the water fountains and their crosses might not be burning in people's yards anymore, but they're still burning in people's hearts. And like, uh -huh. and what a ridiculous mess we're in. And it's like, the only way we're going to do that is if people who are in the arts use that position as a way to create bridges instead of walls and that's that's all that's literally our only job and if we're not doing it then what are we doing oh you gave so. me goosebumps see why i had him on yeah. that's amazing okay. <laughs> okay. oh my god i already is... wrote um like pull that quote out pull that quote out yeah i mean <laughs> you're because it's you know it's not just in the politics of the nation where we need to build bridges i mean there's so many different issues in our communities across the country that that 
we're not moving anywhere because we don't have that bridge. And if the bridge where we can come together and agree is in the arts, then I mean, I'm stoked because yeah, that's what stoked. we're, that's what we're passionate above, about. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you point out that um, to step out and to, and to put it out there and don't let the fear overcome you of that. Not everyone's going to like it. Yeah. Just like say it if it's right and needs to be said. Um, because I feel like in our industry, a lot of times, because we deal in so much technical, regulatory, scientific mm -hmm. stuff, um, people get afraid to do certain things or say certain things because, you know, well, someone may not like that or someone yeah. may disagree or someone may say something terrible on Nextdoor or Facebook. And we're like, but it still needs to be said. Yeah. Like, it's Absolutely. still right. Just like say it. Yeah. So um, I'm glad that you put that out there because that's definitely something that we need to be doing more of. Definitely. So Tyler, you have a workshop that goes along with what you teach in the book, Miracle in the Mundane. Have you ever done that kind of workshop with a company or an organization? And what are some of those most important takeaways from the book that you think are most applicable to an organization trying to move forward together? So far, we haven't. We've had some inquiries to do it. Um, there's a pretty cool facility down in California that's been trying to get us to come down and do a class live and in person. And it's the timing of it is just never lined up. And it's been so hard to work that out because it's also something we've never done in person. And so mm -hmm. eventually it's something we do need to do. But I think honestly, my biggest takeaway is the mindfulness because mm -hmm. literally every, I mean, I think that is like the thread that weaves the whole entire book together. It's the idea of being mindful about your life, other people's lives. And it's about actually taking a second to notice because mm -hmm. We get busy and we just, I think we tend to float through a day as quickly as we can and we go through the same emotions, we go through the same routines and all that does is reinforce the exact same ideas and beliefs we've always had. Mm -hmm. And so if you're actually mindful and you stop and you start paying attention at, at how things are resonating and who they're resonating with and what your action can do and like the, the domino effect of your action, I think once you start seeing that, you start to notice ways that you can help and fix and change. And without that, you literally just get involved in the same rut. And again, you just go through the same motions. And it's, so I think that would be my biggest takeaway is especially for a big company or organization that is trying to elicit change. It's you have to get out of your lane because mm -hmm. if you just stay in that lane, it's, you're, it's it, be, it creates this little echo chamber where all you're hearing is the same stuff back and forth. And, you can't grow in that environment. Right. You have to hear everything and you have to take into consideration everything. And once you do that, then you're like, Oh, okay, well the solution was right here this whole time. Sure. So, so what you're saying is you need to do a practice run catalyst 2020. Yeah. I think that's what I'm hearing too. Yeah. So how does your, <laughs> how does your mid to late June look in, in 2020? 2020. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I can, I can certainly check the calendar. Okay. We'll talk more about yeah, that. For sure. Um, so for, for some of our listeners who may not be as familiar with what this um, idea of being mindful is, and I know that may sound ridiculous, but there's like certain words that just get said and, you know, and people may not be like, well, what does that mean? And you give a lot of examples in uh, Miracle in the Medine of how to be more mindful around like very specific things. So could you pull like one example that you feel like really if someone heard this, they could be like, okay, that's, that's what it means to be mindful, like to focus on this or 
Yeah. Sure. So, I mean, meditation is something that has gotten really popular over the last few years. And it's, it's funny because I think that a lot of people, when they hear meditation, they think of it in one way and one way only. And it's like seated with your eyes closed and, you know, chanting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be that. I think, I think a a really simple way that people can start being more mindful. um, There are forms of meditation that, that literally just involve being in the environment that you're in and paying attention to the sounds. And I think that's for people who have never tried meditation or who have never tried any kind of mindfulness training. Mm -hmm. The first thing that I like to, to, suggest to them is that they try this one with sound and basically all it is it's wherever you are you sit and the first thing you notice is all the sounds that are closest to you Mm -hmm. and then you outside and then once you feel like you have a good grasp on those you broaden that sphere and you notice all those sounds and then you broaden that sphere and then literally you just work out to the most distant sounds that you can find and once you get there you work your way back in and if you do that for five minutes like it is scientifically proven that it will, it will change the way you approach the whole rest of your day. And that mindfulness then comes easier. Yeah. So that made me feel really good because I've never thought I meditated, (laughs) but I literally, I moved out to a farm and on the days I get to work from home, I do try to do that and go out my front porch and just listen to everything around me. And it does always kind of start with that, innermost like area of what's yep. buzzing around my head and then moving out from there. And then I get mad because we're doing construction a few miles down the road. <laughs> so I do end up bringing it back. That's really cool. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. I mean, that honestly is, I think you are, you absolutely are. And I think people have that misconception that it has to be, you know, in yoga pants, what, you know, sitting on a bolster or something <laughs> yeah, like that. And it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. It's just, it's the purposeful. Oh, that's all it is. It's a purposeful, reorienting of your thought process that's meditation and that's mindfulness too and it it really does kind of recenter you and it just changes the way that everything else falls into place Mm -hmm. oh my gosh yeah i'm gonna try that i dig it i I feel like i do that naturally too just i love just like listening to you i've been making my kids do it as well like like we've been trying to you know identify what birds we're hearing or what bugs or anything like that and Sometimes they're like, why are we just out here listening? <laughs> they're poor, so they're going to ask a lot of questions. Sure. So it's just like count to 10 in your head and listen. Because <laughs> yeah, you're meditating. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh. They're meditating. There you go. That's what they're doing. Um, exactly. So we're a communication business, and we always preach the importance of sort of getting your internal communication locked down first and then worry about, you know, what you're going to communicate to your customers or the public. Um, So you have to, in our opinion, you have to live, eat, and breathe your mission, your values. Uh, If you really want to convey authenticity, that's kind of really where you find your center as an organization is knowing those things. So, and your book, Miracle uh, in the Mundane, is really kind of like what you just said about looking inside first and the positive change that can be born out of that is, you know, starting with you. So in your opinion, why is it so important for us to get our own story straight before we try and engage with others? Yeah, I mean, I think Gandhi probably said it better than I ever could, but you have to be the change that you want to see in the world. And it's, it's really easy to point fingers and then expect results from other people. But if you're not demonstrating that exact authenticity that you're demanding in others, why would anybody ever give it back to you? Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's kind of like respect. If you can't expect it, if you don't ever give it. 
And so I think if you start with yourself, there really is a contagious nature to, to watching and to being around someone that is authentic, like that's absolutely authentic. It's contagious. And I think that is, that's really the first thing is if you make yourself that first domino that falls over, all the other ones will follow it, but you have to be willing to be the first one. You can't just be like, I'll be like number 40, you know, because then you're relying on, well, I guess in, in a sense, then you're relying on the moral, code of whoever the 39 that come before you are. And you can't control that. Mm -hmm. All you can control is what you're putting out. And so if you're willing to make yourself the start of it, everything else will come after that. It's just, you can't expect it to already be rolling when it gets up to you. Mm, Love that. We watched a video by our, uh, it wasn't by our um, (laughs) mentor, Greg Wukash, but he showed us this video of the lone nut. Yeah. And you can just look that up on YouTube and you'll get the gist of it quickly. It's basically, you know, one person in the middle of this festival who just gets up and starts dancing wildly about as, probably not as wild as I dance. (laughs) Probably along the same lines. (laughs) Just a little crazy. And, um, I love it. And right after that person gets up, starts dancing, a few people kind of, one person gets up and starts dancing with that one. And then it becomes this domino effect. And soon, yeah. like, you know, everyone's up there dancing, having a great time, but you're right. It starts with you having to do it, you know, first. Absolutely. Even if 39 other people are doing it, you still have to do it. Yep. First. You do. You you're absolutely be a little do. nutty. You have to. <laughs> <laughs> so many of the folks in public education in the water sector are informal educators. I mean, we definitely were. And we were asked to wear a lot of hats and learn a lot of different things. Um, photography being one of them. <laughs> um, so you don't have to get into the mechanics of it, but as an artist, what are some things that you look for before you actually take that picture? You see something, you know, you want to get a shot of, you know, what do you do before you click the button and how do you get your mind right? I think again, that all literally starts with that same mindfulness. I think weirdly Sarah and I do a lot of weddings and it's we found that that's really the easiest way for us to travel the whole world Mm. and so we shoot a lot of weddings and honestly when people ask about you know our process during the weddings or what we're looking for I honestly feel like we're more looking for the things that are in between the things Mm -hmm. than and that confuses a lot of the people that we're shooting for because you know, they'll do something that they think is what we want and they'll pose and they'll wait and we won't take the photo. And it's, I'm waiting for the thing that comes when all of that goes away. Mm. And honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with the lens that I, I use. I use a zoom lens and Sarah uses the wide angle lens. So we are shooting from two completely different perspectives, Mm -hmm. but in a sense, we kind of have the opposite job, but we're doing the same thing. Like she's looking to take these little moments and like, she has to zoom out on everything. So she has to show like the broad and the epic and she has to tell that, that story in a grand way mm-hmm. on my side. I can't do that. I can't take the wide photos that shows the you know sunset and the mountains and all of that. <laughs> so my job is to look and to find the little tiny moments that tell the same story. Mm-hmm. And so, but together we're doing the exact same thing. We're looking for like the little hidden moments that, mm-hmm of authenticity. It's, it's, it's not the pose, like I'm going to hold your hand this way and look at you this way. 
it's when that goes away and they actually look at each other or they actually and laugh and yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so honestly, I think that all that again, just comes from that same mindfulness. It just comes from this, this idea that if you're present while things are unfolding, you're going to be there to catch what, like the actual magic rather than the pre-processed and Pinterest worthy. Like you're actually going to be there for the realness. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you talked about, I love that you guys shoot from those different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then you brought that up because when we were really like being tasked with learning uh, more about photography, one of the ladies that we used to work with Ann Beck, she took us out and just um, was talking us through some different things. But one of the things that she said that, stuck with me was just changing. We tend to like photograph or video things just from where we are. And she's like, it's amazing how things change. Just if you get on your, get like eye level with a child, if you're um, taking a photograph of a child. So then you start to see things from their perspective and um, to tie in water, of course, like we're in Texas. And so Texas can have some very scary uh, weather sometimes (laughs) like, you know, uh, hail and, and, tornadoes and all that stuff. But one time, this has been kind of recently on Instagram, you posted a video that you took of hail. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of the most beautiful <laughs> perspective, perspectives of hail like I've ever seen. And I was like, oh, wow, like normally I would be terrified right now, but this is actually quite lovely. So, <laughs> so it's just like perspective is so important. And I think her telling us that and just saying, get down on the ground, squat down, like think of who you're shooting, um, get like from their perspective. Like that was, that was very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and those are tiny little shifts Mm -hmm. that can totally change everything. I mean, which really does goes full circle all the way back to what we were talking about, about the purpose of the arts, Mm -hmm. because I think that is art's job is it's to take it and shift the perspective for people who might be hesitant to do it on their own. And I think Mm -hmm. that's the whole point. That's the whole point of art. Yeah. You're telling someone else's story sometimes. So it helps that if you're going to do that to tell it as much from their perspective as you can. Um, So on the topic of words, you know, we're in a world where we're chipping away constantly at word count and, you know, less is more and video is king. So from the poet, why are words still so important? Why do they matter? And how do you make each one count the most? So I think I've always considered writing to be the hardest art form. And I know that everybody else would probably argue with that. And they'd be like, no, painting's harder, no, whatever. But I think honestly, the reason why is there's a million different forms of painting and all are equally as valid as being beautiful. You can choose a million colors, a million shades, a million different, I mean, you can be impressionist or realist or cubist. I mean, there's a million ways to express yourself with paint. But with words, speaking just from the English language, there's about a half a million words that are available to everybody. And that and that's it. Mm. And so out of those half a million, maybe half of that or a, a third of that are actually used in everyday language. Mm-hmm. And so everybody has the same palette, you know, and the same brushes and the same canvas and more education does not guarantee that you're going to be a better writer because some of the most powerful things ever are written with those a thousand words that even the most uneducated person might know. Mm -hmm. But the hard part is, is you're having to take those words and you're having to make them 
impactful to the point where someone can read it and feel understood and also feel like they're being punched in the stomach <laughs> with the truth. And I think that is the hardest thing to do. And because you also aren't even given like the kind of the cheating background of music because I mean, you'll be watching a movie and they can take a totally normal scene and add some sweeping music to it and you're swept up with it. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. But with words, it's silent. Like you yeah. only get those words. And so I think that is the hardest part. And I think that's when you talk about making them count, when you're done, if you feel like you've gotten punched in the gut, that means that it counts. And so... I think that's what's important. And sometimes brevity is the way towards that. And then other times you have to just let them all go and let mm -hmm. people get caught up in this breathless mm -hmm. wander. Yes. Love it's it. My type. As right. a writer, I will claim that writing is the hardest art. <laughs> it is. It's so hard. It As certainly makes my not a writer hurt. who wishes they always could be. <laughs> yes. It's super hard. You're a good doodler though. I know words like super hard, super hard. <laughs> I love that like you're a haiku, haikuist, <laughs> haikuer, haikuer. I'll take it. Yeah. yeah like haikuists. I love that you can make so much impact in 17 words. Mm. It's amazing. It's hard. Okay. So, well, okay. Let's, let's talk about how hard it is. I want to know uh, what's your creative process. You know, you publish a poem a day and, um, they're obviously super thoughtful and timely and you have, you know, a ton of books. <laughs> uh, you write a lot. So what's your process? How do you, how do you get through this creative process? I always feel bad answering that because don't. if I was ever a person that struggled at all with any kind of writer's block and I heard me say it, I'd be really irritated. But mm. honestly, I don't feel like I have a process at all. I feel like it's more, all day long, and maybe this all goes back to the mindfulness too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like all day long, my brain is coming up with thoughts and it's coming up with lines and words. And so I guess the closest thing I could say to a process is, is it's just listening to that. And then when a line comes, almost, I would say every single poem I've ever written starts with one line. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's the first one, the last one, a middle line, but I, it starts with that one line and then the whole poem just goes and grows mm -hmm. out of that. And so I think that's really what it is. And I would guess that most writers, if they worked less on writing and more on mindfulness, mm -hmm. those lines, they would find those lines and they would be like, oh, half of the job is already done for me. I just, mm -hmm. I wasn't listening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's literally my only process is it's just listening. And if something comes to me, it doesn't matter if it's three in the morning or if it's, you know, noon. I write yeah. down the thing and then I let it, if it, even if it means writing that line down and that poem needs to come out right then, mm -hmm. it'll come out right then. And I think that's what it is, is it's giving yourself that space to pay attention to things that are already happening. I 100% agree with that. I would find that what I have found, so we started our business in November of 2017. I was looking at her a lot for people uh, <laughs> can't see like, yes. Um, and what I have found in this journey thus far is just how incredibly important white space is to my, <laughs> my writing. Um, I think about back to when I feel like I did some of my most, uh, I don't know that it was my best, but a lot of my emotional writing. And it was back when I was super young and I had like all this spare time, you know, I had time to like 
think and agonize over <laughs> every single word, you know? Whereas like now when you're, um, when writing becomes more of your job, it's just, oh my gosh. I, but yeah, I have definitely, I definitely agree that there has to be an element of white space, but, um, where do you write things down? Like, do you just carry a journal in your pocket? You write it in your phone? Like where are you like you capturing post-it notes? Yeah. yeah. Honestly, whatever I have, um, yeah. I do have a, I have like a, one of those little, uh, the I note things or whatever. Yeah. So that, that way, if I'm anywhere not near someplace that I can finish it or if I'm busy or whatever, I can write that down and then later on I can get home and I can see that, that line. I call them seed lines because they really do feel like seeds. Yeah. And so I do have that that's like automatically synced to all the different places. Um, so I would say there is a big one. Sometimes it'll just be jotting it down on a piece of paper. Sometimes it'll just be repeating it over and over in my own brain. So <laughs> later on it'll be there. Yes. But yeah, it's just whatever is available. And, and it's funny because like, I think people who have never done this, when they start, they might have one line a week that comes into their brain, but then they write it down and the next week it's two and then it's 10 and then it's 50. And then before you know it, everywhere you are, you're seeing things and you're not only seeing the things that you're seeing, but you're seeing the lines and you're seeing the poetry. And then you start being like, oh, it's everywhere. It's mm -hmm. absolutely everywhere. And so when people are like, oh, what's your inspiration or what inspires you? It's hard to answer that because you're just like the world, <laughs> you know, yeah, everything. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, seeing as how you're just a, a word machine, like, can you even remember if there's like a favorite poem or well, either a favorite poem or and or a favorite photograph that you've taken and kind of like, what's the story behind that? I think as far as the poems go, I don't, I tend really not to read them. Um, I can remember, this is going to sound weird, but I can remember not verbatim, but I can remember almost every phrase that I've ever written. Mm. And so in that, I honestly believe that if you were to go back through with a fine tooth comb, I don't think I have ever repeated a phrase. And I'm at like almost 2,700 poems without missing a day. Oh my but God. I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever missed I don't think I've ever repeated myself exactly in a phrase. And then, you know, for haiku, I'm at over 10 years of, <laughs> <laughs> of never missing a day. And so oh I, but I don't think I've, yeah, it's been, it's been a lot. Like it's been 10 it's been years since I've done a haiku. <laughs> <laughs> now it's been sooner for me since I started uh, reading his. I was like, I can write a haiku. I've written a few. Yeah. Yeah. But I still have to be like one, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> I still do that too sometimes. If there's well, I'm like sometimes I have to look up words because the way that I grew up all over the place, and so my brain hears things in a southern accent, and it hears it in a, you know a California accent, and it mm. hears, so sometimes I have to be like, okay, wait a minute, is that one or two? Because if I'm in the south, it's two, but if yeah, I'm in the it is one word. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or used to could or you know <laughs> one word. Yep, one word. Exactly. And so I do have to think about that sometimes, but I think any of the poems that call back a memory of a place, I tend to love the most. There's one that, that starts with take me to our places. Mm. And then beneath it, it just unfolds all these different places that have particular resonance for, for me and for Sarah. And mm. so those really do tend to be the ones that if I see them or if they pop up, I feel exactly what it was to like, 
be soaking wet and walk into that Irish pub and like smell peat smoke. You know, I can like, I, I, I'm there again. Yeah. And so those ones, as far as the poetry goes, those are the most resonant. And then as far as the photography goes, it's always of people rather than of places, even though I take more photos of places when we travel because I mean, we're in some stunning spots. So it's uh, like gorgeous. Yeah. But I mean, like, I would say like the photos that I have of Sarah in those places, mm-hmm. because I can, I can, again, it, it, it immediately recalls that feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it is. It's when a feeling is recalled more than like a visual reminder. So I don't know what you call, what you call this, but you're like, um, every dude out there that's listening to this, never let the significant other in your life read the stuff that he writes about his fiance because damn, you will never be able, she will be like, how come you never write me stuff like that? I mean, it's amazing. That's funny. Yeah, I get in trouble from friends and family in my life. They're like, seriously, man, like just knock it off for just a day. Like give me one day. Yeah, give me one day. I would take, I would say it's okay if like my husband retweeted it or like reshared it to Ariane. To me? (laughs) Like I can't say the words, but he said them for me, but here you go, babe. I'd be like, hell yeah. That happens a lot. And I honestly love that. Like I I love that that happens because it's the, it's, I don't know, especially with Buddhism, it's like, it's the reason behind the action more than the action itself. So the fact that, first of all, the fact that like a guy was reading that and then thought of her, like that should, Mm -hmm. that alone is like, all right, then you did okay. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you can do it or not. It's, it's the fact that you agree with that and that somewhere (laughs) in that bit of writing, you found the person that you love. That's a compliment. And so it's all the same. I mean, it's the same as picking up flowers. You didn't grow the flowers. Exactly. You went to the exactly. store, you saw them, you thought of her or him and you bought them for them and you gave them. Exactly. Yeah. Same you definitely need to start. It doesn't take away the worth. Yeah. You may already, but you definitely need to get into the card business. So a guy <laughs> can go pick up a card and yes. be like, wow, that's great. Reminding me of you. Yeah. Happy anniversary. Just don't charge four ninety nine. Just stick to like yeah. the one seventy nine. I agree. I totally agree. I'll buy your cards all day at one seventy nine. Okay. Yeah. That's a good thing to know. I get a lot of people asking me if I'll write their wedding vows for them. I always draw the line there. I'm like, Uh "Uh, I can't do that. I'm like, you can use little bits of things that I've written if you want, but like not writing your vows to your person. That's like, that's your job, buddy. You need to figure that one out. Take that line. Take that line. Yeah. Oh, there's fill it in with you. Yeah. Yes. There's plenty of fodder on Tyler's Instagram to write your own vows for him. Okay. (laughs) Don't make him do it for you. Come on, put in a little work. Exactly. <laughs> so um, you kind of talked about this in some of the photographs that you take, but our audience um, are people who are tasked with cleaning and protecting the world's most precious resource, which is water. And so from the artist's perspective and someone who obviously respects and captures the grandeur and the beauty of the natural world, what are some of... Um, your words of advice for them in continuing this mission? Oh man, I think it's probably the biggest battle that we're facing right now because everything else, all these other little divides that we talk about, none of those are going to matter if we don't have food and water and, and, and we're all burning from the sun. Mm. But none, of, none of those are going to matter. It's not going to matter what you believe in politically. It's not going to matter 
none of that's going to matter if we end up destroying this place, which we're well on the way of doing. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I read an article today that was saying, you know, if this bee population decline keeps happening, they're saying that if all the bees disappeared within four years, all the human beings on the planet would be gone. gone. Yeah. And it's like, you hear stats like that and you can't not care. You know what I mean? And as far as clean water goes, that's something that's plaguing every corner of this planet. And it's, it's not just, you know, in like the darkest, farthest away corners. It's not just in like the burning desert of Africa. It's uh, people in America are having poor access. I mean, everywhere. And it, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you live. If that continues, we're all in the same boat of being equally screwed. And so it's like, that mindfulness needs to be channeled back to everything or else we're going to be in a whole world of hurt. Right. Yep. We're all equally three days away from dying because three days without water. So, yep. yep. Exactly. We're going to go into our little lightning round, kind of our last three questions that we ask all of our guests. I'm going to let Arian kick that off. I was going to challenge him and be like, haiku, now. (laughs) (laughs) That's not fair. (laughs) You can probably do it. Um, (laughs) You can probably do it. Um, I want to know what your favorite book is right now that you can recommend to us. And it could be one of your own. No, it's not one of my own. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I don't even read those, remember? I really don't. I never have. Um, There's a book called The End of the Alphabet, and it's by C.S. Richardson, and it's like this big, it's super tiny, and it will take you no time to read, but we talked about how words can punch you in the stomach. That book is one collective punch in the stomach, and it's... Mm it shows you how much you can do with so little. Mm. And that book in the shortest amount of time did more to me than most novels do with 400 and 500 pages. Okay. Wow. Challenge accepted. Yeah. We'll be reading that one. Read it's that. so beautiful. Love it. Okay. So what's something that you do? You kind of mentioned uh, meditation, but what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Besides writing haikus. Besides writing haikus. <laughs> Honestly, I, w- I would say f- exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if I didn't exercise every day, I would feel stale to a point of like you're just sitting in your own stew. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. <laughs> no, I literally know That's what literally, you mean. I literally feel like I that feel right, right now. now. <laughs> yeah, like you, and like no new flavors are coming in and it's just like the same thing over and over. And I don't know, it takes getting completely breathless to make that go away. Okay. I was wow. going to say one day we're going to so, get back to caring about our bodies. Well, it's going to be the day. I now didn't have to read the end of the alphabet to get <laughs> gut punched. I literally just got gut punched. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting in my own stew. Yes. Exactly. That's, um, yeah. It is weird what happens though. Like It is. When you allow yourself to be totally taken your breath away and, and like work to the point where you feel like you're going to die – it really is weird what happens after that. Makes your yeah. wake up. It does. And right. like things that were blocking you, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that was pretty easy. I just, I didn't get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know almost all of my like ailments and mm. problems like with my knees and everything is like, if you would just work out every day, even just a little bit, yeah, your body would feel it. Your back wouldn't hurt everything would like get in its place and be yep. working the way it's supposed to. 
And it's funny how little it takes too, because I was just reading. A walk around the block. Yeah. I mean, scientists the other day were even like, they had such good news for people. You know, everyone has the fitness counters now and like oh, the sure. step counters. They're even saying that 10,000 steps is about 2,500 steps more than the human actually needs to be moderately fit. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so everybody everywhere has time to do 10, 15 minutes a day. Everybody. And it's, it really does change the way your brain works. Mm -hmm. So if for no other reason than just to get your brain working better, it, I, that's, that's literally is my, like my savior. I agree. <laughs> Reluctantly. Spirit animal says so. I mean, now I have to do it. My spirit animal told me, get off your ass, Stephanie, yep. go work out. Okay. It's time. <laughs> um, okay. So this is the last question we ask all our guests. I can't wait to hear your answer to this, but, um, you know, I told you that we're kind of in the world or in the sphere of creating behavior change. And so in our line of work, sometimes we would have people tell us, you know, well, what difference is it if I make a change? I'm just one person. It's not going to make a difference, but we obviously disagree with that. We believe that change can be contagious, you know, to be that first domino, like you kind of talked about before. So what's the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? <clears throat> oh, man. Literally, I could, in one word, it's just kindness. Mm. And I mean, the, the, our children's book that we have, it's called the North Pole Ninjas. And literally, the entire thing is just about kindness. And mm -hmm. honestly, I think, and the thing that I love about that one word and that one call to action is that it's not just applied at people. It's just if kindness was the overarching shift that you made in your, in your day and you aim it outward. Yeah. If you're not selective or prejudiced about where it lands, that kindness extends to animals and it extends to the environment and it extends to enemies and friends and everybody else. And if everybody did that, if that was their one domino change, that ripple effect would be unbelievable. I mean, honestly, I think it would stop, it would stop everything. It would stop global warming. It would stop everything because it's, it's that shift towards kindness towards every single thing, every living thing, every, every place that we are a part of. That would be my call to action. It would just be to bring kindness back to the front. Yeah, I agree. I feel like people are more kind to their things and their, you know, stuff inside their homes or their car than they are human beings and living animals Absolutely. and plants and yep. agreed. Uh, we have a lot of bugs in Texas, especially when we have terrible winters or non-existent winters. And so okay, the only one I don't have to be kind to is the mosquito. Okay. The mosquito <laughs> nor the cockroach, but so lately there's been a lot of crickets and, uh, well, lots of crickets. And so I want you to know that every time I have, cause I don't kill a lot of bugs, but every time I've swatted a cricket, I've thought of you in that damn book. And I've been like, God, Tyler told me not to kill these bugs, but but see, know. even that, you're for, like, every single creature <laughs> on the, this planet, I'm going to make you feel guilty. Every creature <laughs> on the planet serves a role, yeah. even mosquitoes, even yes. crickets. I mean, like, they do. because if you were to go right now and, like, if someone said, all right, with this wish, it's a free wish, you can snap your fingers and all mosquitoes on the planet will instantaneously disappear. Mm-hmm. 
so like you would kill off entire species. Well, the ne- yeah, birds yeah. first. Yeah. Yeah. Next thing, birds would go. Fish, there would be species yeah. of fish that would die. And then the bears that eat those fish. And, the you know, it would be this thing. And that's including crickets. It's including- <laughs> and as far as cockroaches go, like no creature on the planet deserves more respect. They are literally the them and tardigrades, which are those little water bears. Uh, old- I like the water bears. Yeah, they're the only ones that could survive nuclear fallout. That's it. No one else. And so, like, if you're a creature of that that survival, well done. I mean, I know that they're, like, helpful. I just would prefer that they be not near me. <laughs> 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 I do, like, capture a lot of things in cups and, like, throw them outside. But um, I would say, man, I can't <laughs> – I can't like even thinking about doing that with the roads just like gave me the heebie jeebies, but <laughs> it's little shifts. Just try it once and then try it once. You, you're going to see like a, yeah, you're going to see like a new show in Montana where like women sent to hospital after like severe panic attack, trying to put cockroach <laughs> up and you're going to be like, Oh God, that's definitely that was on me. Yeah. Oops, my bad. That's oh, my fault. Well, Thank you so much yes. for taking the time to chat with us today. Like I said, super fans. Uh, yes. I'm, yeah, over the moon. Uh, and I appreciate that. If you're listening to this, please check out his work. It is incredible. He's on Instagram, tw- uh, all of our water nerds on Twitter. He's on Twitter as well. But, you know, Instagram, you get the whole grandeur of all the pictures that he yes. posts and stuff like Beautiful. that. So buy a book, too. They're all amazing. Um but yeah, thank you so much for, for spending thank some time you. with us. We appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad we got to do it. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.